0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, I want to talk about the 10 things you must know about the EU GDPR. May 25th, 2018, is going to be a Wednesday. And for most of us here in the United States, it's probably going to be a lovely spring afternoon coming in to the end of May. But that's only five months away. And if you haven't thought at all about the EU's new GDPR, and that's the General Data Protection Regulation, that's the date, May 25th, 2018, that it's going to be going into effect, or finally into effect. That's the date when your organization, very likely, or at least pretty likely, will be in a position to have to potentially show compliance with this new regulation if you process data that is covered. And I wanted to talk about 10 things you need to know about the GDPR because of some interesting data that I came across in doing some research for this. The surveys have shown that at least half of the U- of U.S. companies out there are not going to be in compliance when May 25th rolls around from estimates. And currently, 22% of organizations surveyed were still not even aware of the GDPR. And I don't think that's a surprise. Uh, again, this... Information is primarily directed for those of us here in North America and in in the United States, because unlike I'm sure in the EU, and this is not uh, a general topic of conversation outside of compliance circles. So there's probably many, many businesses out there, uh, particularly smaller and medium-sized businesses that may not even have heard of this or have any idea that there's an obligation with regards to certain data that uh, pertains to EU citizens and they're very probably or possibly handling or controlling or processing that data and will inadvertently find themselves in trouble as is true with many situations both uh, uh, regulations and laws uh, enforced here by the Department of Justice and other regulators in the United States, but also internationally, it's the smaller organizations and the medium-sized organizations that tend to find themselves in the biggest part of trouble. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with resources and the fact that uh, they are simply unaware or unprepared for these changes. So I want to go through 10 things that you ought to know, particularly if you are a North American-based business and particularly if you are small and medium sized, and particularly if you haven't thought about the GDPR uh, to this point, these are things that you need to think about. First and foremost, I wanna talk about the jurisdiction, about territoriality. Uh, For those of us who have worked with with regulation and compliance here, uh, primarily focused at the uh, regulatory authorities here in the United States, we've known for a long time, particularly a subject like uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the jurisdiction that the Department of Justice and SEC uh, bring to bear, particularly the Department of Justice, for conduct under FCPA and, and other statutes is very broad. Uh, they will find uh, uh, a very, sometimes from the perspective of the defense, very tenuous Linkages uh, that bring uh, jurisdiction to bear for for the particular um, statutes, laws, or regulations. Uh, one of the big changes here with the GDPR that's going to be coming into effect is the extent of jurisdiction or territoriality. It's important to note that you do not need to be a an organization that is primarily operating or even operating at all in the EU or, or operating under any authority of the EU uh, that you're aware of. Uh, there's a, a very different approach to jurisdiction here and it's extraterritorial, it's expansive. Uh, the, the new directive requires compliance from non-EU organizations and companies that, and I'm gonna quote here from to give you the specifics here, that offer goods or services to EU residents or monitor the behavior of EU residents. So if you are monitoring the behavior of a EU citizen or resident, um, and you are offering goods or services, and that's offering, not necessarily providing, goods and services to EU residents, then you your organization falls under the jurisdiction of this new directive that's very broad that's why i'm leading with this because i think there are many organizations that are collecting data or or processing data or have access to data and have no idea that some of that data if it includes uh data from eu residents brings them into this new regime and these new responsibilities so first and foremost i think you need to take a long hard look at the data that your your organization collects processes stores has access to um, any any data that that uh, potentially uh, could have information uh, regarding eu residents has to be considered so uh, first and foremost, understand that this is much broader than the uh, EU privacy, data privacy regulations that came before as far as how long the reach of this regulation is intended to be. So that's number one. Number two, the penalties are significantly greater than the penalties for violations in the past. Penalties here, for some violations, can be up to 4% of the annual global turnover. So think of it this way, if you're a decent sized organization that has two to $3 billion in revenue a year, you might be talking about a fine of $100 million or more. Let that sink in, up to 4% of your global turnover. That's pretty amazing and uh, for a violation of a directive that you may not even know your organization may not even be aware of uh, responsibility for at this point. So uh, if nothing else gets your attention or the attention of your stakeholders uh, the idea of possibly being on the hook for up to uh, 4% of the annual global turnover of your organization is something uh, that should get just about anybody's attention. Number three, uh, with regards to getting consent of using individuals' data, this is something that I think I mentioned in the Trends podcast that went up last week, and I've mentioned it several times before. And it's kind of the, even for those of us who don't deal with EU data privacy on a Daily basis, we know kind of the general uh, uh, line of demarcation between what we do here in the United States and what uh, the EU does, and several other org- several other governments do around the world with regards to data privacy is this opt in versus opt out culture. Um, the EU, the and several other jurisdictions have traditionally been opt-in cultures and in in other words you have to affirmatively agree as the individual that you that that the uh, that the organization can use your data can collect your data can use it for a specific purpose so you have to you know affirmatively agree to that whereas here in the united states those of us who have a email folder (laughs) full of a lot of solicitations know that we are an opt-out culture and that we continue to get solicited we continue to have our data collected until we say no more please Uh, that is a fundamental difference again if you've not aware of that if you haven't been dealing with data privacy issues internationally this may not be a concept you're familiar with but it is a strong concept uh, in eu law and the uh, change here with the gdpr is that that consent to have access to use that data must be intelligible. That is, the process must be easily accessible and it must be something that is easily understandable. In other words, you cannot have your lawyers write it. Or if they write it, you need to have somebody come after them, which is always a good practice anyway, and make sure that it is in regular English or whatever language it needs to be in so that the individual's from from whom you're soliciting consent can easily understand it and easily access it. So it can't be overly overly complicated. It can't be overly long, uh, and it can't be in legalese. Uh, that's an important distinction, um, and 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 important in this context because consent is so different when you're talking about uh, gathering and collecting and processing and using data. Uh, storing data uh, of EU residents. Number four, uh, the breach notification requirements of the GDPR are significantly strengthened, I think, and that might be a bit of an understatement. What the GDPR is asking organizations to do is, in the event of a breach, your organization has 72 hours 72 hours from the moment your, your organization has been made aware of the breach to report any data breach to both the authorities responsible and the affected customers. 72 hours. That is a significant uh, responsibility and requires a lot of pre-planning you're going to have to have the details in place about how you're going to marshal your resources and conduct a notification process, potentially f- to thousands. You know, in some cases, maybe millions, uh, if if you're a big enough organization, uh, of of potential customers that uh, uh, and e- that are e-residents that uh, th- that there's been a breach uh, of of a portion or all of their data. That is. A significant change and if none of, of any of these changes i think that's probably the change that most organizations are just not prepared for um i've worked with organizations in the past and, and particularly in my distance past when i was in private practice who had these um, had problems had issues had uh, either through fraud or or mistake or or some other issue had had uh, had a data security breach and those sorts of investigations before before any kind of notification is made can go on for months i mean traditionally that's that was not uncommon i don't think that's the case these days i think that there's an impetus to try to get out ahead of this and so um a notification certainly happens much quicker than that but 72 hours that's <laughs> depending on when it happens if it happens on a friday night are you going to be prepared if there's a data breach that is discovered at uh, you know eight o'clock on a Friday night to uh, make uh, to prepare and and provide particular notification to to all those affected Monday morning? That's pretty significant, and and if you haven't thought about this and you haven't sat down uh with the data security team and are and, those responsible for for this data in your organization to talk about how physically how that's going to get done what are the practical um steps that have to be taken to make sure uh that any kind of breach response um, any kind of uh, response team is in place and knows what they need to do and is capable of doing it uh in 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 such a short time turnaround that's a big change uh, not only from prior uh, requirements for, for many EU member nations, but it's certainly a big change from uh, practice uh, in, in the past. Uh, so 72 hours. Uh, again, if, if the money doesn't scare <laughs> the stakeholders in your organization about taking a hard look, if the potential fines don't scare them, the idea that they're going to be on the hook if they don't, if, if the organization can't turn around in 72 hours with a significant response like this, if that doesn't scare you, uh, then, then potentially nothing in this area will. <laughs> um, number five, um, there are uh, several quote unquote rights uh, that are granted under the GDPR to EU residents with regards to uh, their data. And one of those rights is the right of access, the right of knowledge as, as, uh, to, to, to be able to, for lack of a better term, petition any organization and find out uh, with relative ease uh, whether any of your data as that individual resident uh, is being um, stored, collected, monitored, controlled, processed, etc. cetera by that organization. Under this directive, uh, a resident can make that inquiry and has the right to have access and knowledge about uh, A, whether that uh, data is uh, held by the organization being queried, and B, to find out what that data is, and to get a copy of it. Um, that is a significant and possibly, uh, depending on the um uh, depending on the the scale of inquiries, uh, c- could be a significant resource um, uh, issue. So you have to have provision for being able to respond to those inquiries under the new rule. Uh, another right, quote unquote, right that uh, uh, EU residents have under the global data protection. Regulation, and this is one that's been discussed previously, is this right to be forgotten? Uh, the right to be forgotten means that if uh, they do not opt in and 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 also uh, make it quite clear that they do not want their data to be uh, held, monitored, collected, processed, stored, uh, then the organization has the responsibility to ensure. That, that data is no more. And I am a lawyer by trade and been in compliance for a few years now. Uh, so I am not a technical specialist, but I can tell you this, uh, as an owner of several electronic devices, <laughs> several computers, several hard drives, uh, several uh, derelict uh, uh, mobile phones and, and other devices, there are this, there, there are prob- probably, 50 copies of certain photos of my family and and 60 copies of certain files you know it it would not be extraordinary for for most of us to be able to understand that even if we are not that technical ourselves so uh, only imagine the complexity of trying to ensure in multiple redundant systems um, uh, systems that overlap uh, subcontractors uh data processors vendors partners joint ventures the potential for data being scattered all over the place with multiple copies uh in different uh in different formats and in and, and, and in different locations is uh exponential but under the new rule uh the right to be forgotten trumps that all and so uh organizations again have to make provision and think about what the process will be uh, for, for reasonably ensuring that data that uh, is to be forgotten is truly forgotten number seven uh, is an interesting one uh, privacy by design must be shown compliance with privacy by design must be shown and what that means is that the an organization must be prepared to talk about how your data collection data processing data monitoring uh, tools and processes have privacy considered in the design of those systems so if you're going to in, put together new systems, new tools, new software um, uh, to both collect, monitor, uh, process data. Privacy needs to be part of the design elements, needs to be part of the specifications, needs to be uh, ingrained in the uh, development of these tools and processes from the very beginning. You need to show that uh, privacy um, resources, individuals responsible for privacy have a say in the development of any plans around new tools, new applications, new services, uh, and that privacy is always a component of those development processes. This is, again, a big change. Uh, It is still um, not the most common thing in the world to have uh... compliance generally uh... have a seat at the table uh... when people are blue sky developing new products and services uh... that's not always the case and certainly organizations that are in uh... highly regulated industries are more likely to do it than those that are not but you know just taking silicon valley as as an example or or, or high, the the general generally high-tech uh, I'm also here in Austin, where you have a lot of these, sm- these small to medium-sized firms that are growing rapidly, um, and compliance is not always a prime consideration when they are developing new tools, products, services, and processes, um, and, uh, uh, and that's just generally thinking about the law and thinking about compliance. Um, so when you start being more specific about privacy it's you perhaps even less likely with some of those organizations and again going back to what i was talking about at the top of this conversation i think that the biggest danger zone in all of this is for organizations that are small to medium-sized those are the organizations that are in the crosshair generally speaking for the biggest compliance failures although we hear about the big headline companies and the big fines uh... the companies that get actually get sentenced in front of federal judges, uh, the companies where individuals generally uh, more than 50% of the time end up uh, finding themselves co-defendants in those cases uh, are are these smaller organizations. And I think this is a perfect example. Uh, So if the uh, commercial side of the business uh, doesn't have uh, a strong connection uh, when they're developing their products or services or tools, with compliance generally uh, this is perhaps an opportunity to have even broader conversation even beyond privacy about how uh, taking into consideration compliance and regulation and law uh, needs to be part of the design process generally uh, and here specifically when we're talking about uh, privacy that's number seven number eight the New GDPR also talks about the importance of having a DPO. What's the DPO you say? Well that's the data protection officer. Uh, The new directive requires companies to have uh, an individual or individuals uh, in in that position, in a position of the data protection officer, if they regularly engage in collection, storage, uh, processing of um, customer data, um, th- so not every organization. If that's not the prime, if, if that's not a primary operation, then perhaps they don't need to consider having a DPO. But if you're regularly collecting customer data. And again, using, uh, again, sitting here in Austin, using Silicon Valley or high tech sector here in Austin as an example, uh, you have a web-based platform where you're constantly uh, collecting data from from individuals all over the world through your portal, then I think that it's highly likely, depending on what you do with that data and how you handle that data, that you need to have somebody appointed as your DPO. Um, there's a lot more information about this in uh, in uh, the, the uh, requirements of the gdpr but broadly speaking uh... DPOs are going to be the point of contact uh... not only if there's a breach but also ensuring that appropriate controls uh... and security technology uh... and uh processes are in place that comply with not only the GDPR but just generally best practices around uh, privacy and security uh, so I think it's important if you've got already have a, a chief technical officer or some other said designation or a privacy officer when well, obviously the privacy officer might be a, uh, an obvious candidate uh, for this designation but somebody um, uh, whether they're, uh, you know, already the the infosec or, or privacy officer, or whether they're the chief technology officer, somebody is going to have to wear this hat, and you need to be thinking about who draws the black bean there. Um, and again, uh, it may be that your organization doesn't require one because you're not primarily or or, or significantly. Uh, collecting that data but um, the thresholds actually are pretty broad number nine of the 10 things I think you need to know about the GDPR is what does it cover Uh, we've been talking about uh, data regarding EU residents but what what is what is that uh... well the data is primarily identification data so um, demographic data also is going to be covered id data is going to be name rank serial number social security number although that doesn't mean anything for EU residents but but id numbers um, uh... photos health information here's some interesting stuff too uh, that you may not think of, think of immediately but like web search data it, Uh, any kind of cookies and information that is collected through cookies over over the internet Uh, IP addresses so there's a lot of uh, data that that is going to be covered by this so don't think narrowly about uh, somebody's name email address contact information it's it's much broader than that Uh, it it can include uh, data that is otherwise, uh, I think, sometime over, sometimes overlooked. Again, by certain industries that are collecting data online, for example. So keep that in mind. Um, and again, going back to the the last point about having a dedicated DPO or data protection officer, uh, a lot of that comes down to uh, whether you're uh, primarily engaged uh, in uh, a business where you could be, could be offering, again, not necessarily uh, uh, just those that you engage in services, but offering goods and services or monitoring the behavior of EU subjects. That's very broad. Uh, so I think that uh, when you're doing the calculus internally about what you need to do and how you need to prepare for this, I think you need to think expansively about it and and not narrowly number 10 this is another interesting one Uh, the new GDPR uh, requires those that uh, need to be in compliance with it to provide evidence of risk mitigation evidence that they have taken action Um, it's not a matter of uh, preparing for the worst and, 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 and uh, uh, having an action uh, plan in place for if there happens to be a breach. Uh, I think you, what what is clear from the, the guidance is that there's going to be an expectation that companies will be able to prove up uh, if they are uh, subject to the GDPR that they um, have taken the necessary steps, uh, have gone through the exercise have seriously thought about what the exposure of the organization might be and and taken action Uh, and that's really what i've been talking about for the last uh half hour uh you know going through the sort of 10 things i think you need to know it's it's that process Uh, i think you need to uh, be able to prove uh, up that you have taken the risk-based approach that we're all familiar with and you've gone through the controls you have in place uh, and you've made uh, the decisions that you've made about uh, your privacy program and your um, uh, your breach uh, uh, identification and and and, bre- and post breach process and everything else based on uh, uh, on the risk based approach and based on providing the best and most complete risk mitigation for any potential harm uh, that could could happen uh, based on your um, uh, care control, monitoring, and use of uh, EU resident data. It's important to note, and it's been noted elsewhere, uh, that even if there isn't a breach, um, regulators, if they believe you uh, are subject to this GDPR, may ask uh, that, uh, and require firms to provide evidence uh, about what they have in place what their compliance program looks like with regard to data privacy and it may not be a bad idea uh to be able to not only show your process in developing redeveloping uh and provisioning for all of these different things internally but uh have an outside um, uh risk assessment or 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 um review of your data and privacy security processes and, and controls uh, that you can show them that's, you know, relatively recent that you've, you know, had your organization and your and your processes evaluated by uh, professionals that have that experience. And you've, you know, been found to have a program that's in compliance. So um, last but not least on this list is, be prepared to show your work Um, I think that that is uh, also probably something that we're not as prepared for we you know in compliance uh, it is still um, rather common for for programs to be reactive uh, rather than proactive although I think we're doing much better now than we had been 10 years ago Um, but uh, you know take the time to go through the exercise and consider where you are uh... what kind of potential responsibilities you have under the gdpr and uh... be prepared to uh... uh... report back out on that not only internally but but potentially externally so those are ten things uh... that i think are important to know (laughs) about the gdpr we will probably be talking about gdpr even more as we get closer to may and maybe afterwards, uh, I'd like to perhaps get uh, a data, um, a data privacy officer, um, in here uh, on on the podcast to maybe talk about uh, the ramp up prior to that, something along those lines. Uh, so look for that for those of you that are interested in this topic. I don't plan for this to be the last word. This was uh, kind of a run through. I think primarily, as I said at the top, designed for those who probably have not thought about this too much yet, but may, uh, may want to. Uh, and it's a good jumping off point uh, to kind of walk through potential liability, uh, potential ways you can mitigate against this risk. As always, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, uh, as always, if you have questions, comments, uh, suggestions for future episodes, uh, don't be shy. Uh, please drop us a line. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And uh, in the meantime, uh, until next time, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Morehead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moreheadconsulting.com.